Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 93, Natalie's Studio, recorded on March 11th, 2020. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. Can you believe 93 episodes? No, I can't. When the 100th comes, we ought to plan something special. Well, I was going to say, a normal podcast, it would be like maybe a year or two they'd get to 100. I think it's taken us like six years. We're just, we're moving a little bit slower, but we're making it. I congratulate us. I'm saying it's it's quality over quantity is really sort of how I'm feeling. Absolutely. <laughs> so today on the podcast, we have a fabulous guest. We have my friend and yours too, Natalie Callback, who uh, is a self-taught mixed media artist born in Germany and now living in Jersey City. And Natalie's projects have been published in several art, craft, and hobby magazines, as well as mixed media books. Natalie has taught workshops all over the world and wrote the book, Artful Adventures in Mixed Media Art and Techniques, Inspired by Observation and Experience. So welcome, Natalie. Hello, so excited to be back. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm so glad to have you back. Natalie is a wonderful, funny, hilarious person, very sweet. And uh, she is the proud owner of a fairly brand new old house. (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. I miss you, by the way. So um... (laughs) I know, me too. It was really nice for a while when I was living in New York City and you were living in Jersey City and we could actually have all sorts of art play days. That was lovely. Well, we we will have that soon again. I I need to see the little one too. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm uh, I'm yeah. As you, um, we both went through some renovation of old houses uh, during I think the same time. Um, but yeah, we have an old house from the eighteen eighty from eighteen eighty four. It's a Victorian um, brick house, townhouse, and um, we. Yeah, we're super stoked. Um, we did some renovation, not as long as you, but <laughs> um, like it was long. I think it doesn't matter how long you do renovations. It always feels way too long. So um, we had a while before we could move in, but we are now in for half a year and we absolutely love our old little house. So now you have uh, a great love of old houses and I I would think just sort of the history of a place in general. A lot of your artwork really focuses on um, architecture and stuff like that. So will you tell us a little bit, um, not only about the old house you live in now, but some of the other houses you've lived in and the (laughs) sort of history that has interested you in those places? Yeah, I um, so my mother and I, my father died when I was very young, so we moved actually uh, quite a lot, not because he died, but, you know, just <laughs> life in general. Yes. So, um, and I always had this habit of making, you know, I don't know why, I guess I got that from my family, and they were very interested in taking photos and being interested in history uh, and, you know, the life of people uh, around certain places, but... I somehow caught that up very early on, and I was always interested in the area where I moved to, um, you know, who lived here before, what was going on. And then when I was 12, my mother remarried, um, and we moved with my stepfather, who was an amazing man. Uh, We moved to a little village, and he had a house from the 1500s. It was like a timberwood house, uh, which all kinds of very crazy uh, things 
And, Can I ask um, a totally ignorant question? So does a house from the 1500s, is there stuff like a thatched roof or is it something where it has gotten like a modern roof and stuff like that on it? Um, this one had a, um, how do you call it? Slanted roof? A gable roof? Okay. I don't I'm I'm always a little bit stumped when you ask me about like like architectural uh, terms in English. <laughs> when she when she says thatched it means with straw. Oh yeah. Um well it doesn't have this one hadn't had that anymore. Um it had uh, the original walls actually had still straws in there and the, it was like wood um there were like branches that were intertwined and in between you would have mud and straw as their kind of um the plaster that was how they did plaster and then of course there was modern stuff on top but this was actually uh an historic house uh so there were a lot of things that we could or and could not do um during renovations and um we didn't have i grew up grew up in that house well i didn't grow up really but i was 12 when i moved there (laughs) And I didn't really, we didn't have a, a heater, for example. We had like old uh, coal um, stoves, like two of them in the house that was supposed to heat the whole house. And, you know, it was really hard to to include that a new heater system without um, ruining some of the, um, you know, historic um walls and stuff so there was a lot of like laws involved about what you could do and what you couldn't do in the house um back then so it was an interesting thing (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so i really liked uh, i really liked living there and you know finding out who lived in this village before and was the history and then um i moved to jersey city uh to an old pencil factory um, the yellow pencil number two, I think, is uh, very known for many students in America. It was originally um, produced or made in Jersey City. And um, then I think the house, the factory kind of like, I don't know if it was ever really like in a very bad shape, but that area of Jersey City downtown was not in a good shape for a long time. And um, then they revived it as apartments and condos, and um, we moved to, into this really cool loft. And I really, you know, I wanted to know, like, what what's going, what was going on there. And I found these like old newspapers or newsletters about the place. It was called pencil shavings, and I always make that joke that. HR would not be happy about it nowadays because it was like <laughs> talking about some really wild things about the people working there. Like, I think the boss has alcohol problems, and I don't know. Mary seems to have an interest in a certain guy with a straw hat. He always is there when she's off her shift. You know, like wow. it was really weird. <laughs> Salacious gossip. Oh yeah, it was so gossipy and. Yeah, I thought, you know, that was some of the stuff that we found in the library. I've been frequently in the library to find out some of the history about those buildings. And I think a part of it is also um, I've oftentimes lived in areas that have been highly gentrified. So they were like very rich areas or very lively areas, you know, and you can see um in the architecture, how much love was put into there or how much detail. And then 
they became they were in areas that no one wanted to live and everything falls down and now they're getting revived and i i'm just in general very interested in this kind of like you know um yeah evolvement and gentrification in general and um i love painting and thinking about the history and finding out about more the stories behind a building and then you know um kind of like want to put that into that painting <laughs> so yeah <laughs> well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, because Jersey City in particular, for people who don't know, is just a fascinating city because it has pockets, right, uh, which are mm-hmm. developed and then undeveloped. And yet there are so much, so so many of the buildings are historical. And, you know, because it is an older city for America, not 1500s, obviously, <laughs> but, you know, so there, there's a lot of um, tension there. And I always think for artists, the tension between like uh anything right it's the contrast between like curves and squares so the the tension between the developed and the undeveloped is really interesting yeah totally and also you know that now the area where i live used to be like the the most the most wealthiest part of jersey city and actually a lot of people merchants from new york would have their summer homes here. So we have all these amazing Victorian mansions here that are falling apart and are boarded up. And, you know, it's like, it's a, it's not a wealthy, uh, not a wealthy area where I live now. And it's kind of like, you're walking, you know, around the corner and you have all these mansions and you're like, wow, that's amazing. But then, um, you know, you don't care if you don't have food on your table, right? Like, right. It's, the, it's the evolution, right? Things change. Yeah. Um, right. So speaking of evolutions, I know uh, that you have this beautiful home, high ceilings, and it's um, got lots of interesting details. And then you have put in a beautiful but modern um, kitchen into your home because, of course, a kitchen is a very uh well it needs to be a functioning place as i think is the best way to describe it and you do have the best refrigerator in the world it's so <laughs> cute um and now a studio is like a kitchen in that way that it has to be functional so i'm just wondering what kind of choices did you make in terms of designing your studio that uh were taking in mind like function versus the fact that it is an old victorian home and sort of where did you make those choices yeah, um, that was a little bit tough um, because so we have a three story house and when you come into um, the house um, on the street level, um, you actually enter right into my studio, which is a large open rectangular space. Um, and it's um, it includes, you know, my my uh, whole studio area and then you have a little sitting area desk with a computer and my furniture, which we can talk about later. But so you have a little entry way and then you go upstairs to the living area. And so there there's still a uh, one of the very few things that are or it's not very few, but a couple of the old things that we have were like the original hardware floor in my studio. And um, it's like this very narrow pine wood hardware floor. And it was like kind of clear for us that we want to keep that. But of course, that's um, that's pretty tricky for an artist's studio where you're painting, right? So 
is to say, okay, I really want to keep this nice old floor, but I also need to kind of protect it. Um, so how do I do that, you know, without making it look like super crazy? So, <laughs> um, so I put down some canvases and, you know, colorful canvases and, um, some padding under my, um, desk, which is a very heavy, uh, tank desk from the fifties. Um, so, I constantly try to not freak out that I'm going to scratch the floor. Also thinking, you know, it is it is an old house and um, it's part of life that you will see some scratches in an old floor that already has scratches, right? Yeah, I agree. You know, so when we were talking about my studio, I wanted to put in... Um... Uh, laminate because I thought it would just be easier in the studio and my contractor said you know good laminate versus like a really inexpensive pre-finished hardwood floor is basically the same price and the hardwoods will weather better because even Mm -hmm. when you get paint or scratches or whatever in them you just refinish them and they come back to being beautiful whereas laminate if once you do whatever you throw it away exactly and I also you know it just makes me feel better too it's like more homely and it makes me embrace their you know the their history of the studio and I also learned actually a little other funny tidbit maybe is that when I did some research about the house I found out that in my uh in my studio actually which used to be an apartment um there used to be a printmaker who lived here as a renter from 1970 to 1941 and if i don't know it kind of like just makes me feel like you know there was this like creative guy who was a printmaker he walked on this floor <laughs> that's really nice <laughs> by the way if there are people who are interested in doing some research about the house or whatever they live in do you have any tips for them um, so I'm, I don't know if that's like a common thing in a lot of cities in, um, or towns in America, but I would say the best bet for you is to first go to the library. Um, there's often a librarian who is very, very happy that there's someone who wants some help researching. <laughs> so like our Jersey study guy is like super happy every time we walk in or I walk in and ask a question, he's like, let me help you. You know, like finally, I have something really fun to do. So, we looked at some old fire maps that can help you. You know, date your house. Um, they um, um, they can look at, you know, uh, clippings. Um, they can, uh, yeah, f- find some books for you. We were very lucky that we also had someone in the 80s um, taking photos of every single house in Jersey City and catalog, making a catalog of it and writing a little bit about it. So we found out that our house was like for 20 years uh, boarded up um, and in really rough shape. Um, And then the other thing that I would say is when you buy a house, you get, of course, you can ask for old tax records, which help you look um oftentimes there's like an old photo of the houses or drawing of the houses so we actually found out that our house used to have a stoop uh originally and you would find out who lived in there and then you can also find old censuses uh and go in there and find out who lived in the house and that's what i what i did and went into a very very dark rabbit hole of you know (laughs) 
doing research. I couldn't like hey, it's a it's a obsessive, but I found it like really, really uh, interesting and cool um, to know who lived here and that there was a family living here for 50 years. I, I found that just amazing. So, yeah, I would say labor library is your first uh, bet. Excellent tip. And now let's talk about your fabulous studio. So <laughs> I know we're going to have some photos on the blog of the studio, but this is a podcast. Can you walk us through when we walk into your studio, what we see and why you sort of set it up that way? So when you walk in um, to the entrance of our house to you have we have I have one window which goes to the street Um and then you have a little sitting area in front of a fireplace, which didn't used to be in my studio. It's one of the original fireplaces of the house. We have four of them. And we removed that fireplace from the bedroom because it's a very, very tiny bedroom. And we needed like seven more inches to put in our bed in there. So we removed the chimney breast and we removed the uh, mantle and had it placed in my studio because I just wanted to keep it and I also think it's very nice. So I have a little um, sitting area in front of one of our original fireplaces. And what do you do uh, with your sitting area? Is that a place that you do research, you read books? Is it a place you invite people into your studio to have a conversation? What is what is that space used for for you? Yeah, so um, exactly when I have visitors sometimes that are just visiting me, right? Um, yeah, Jim, husband, sometimes people just visit me. So um, we sit there, right? Or when I have, when I read, I like to read there. Um, I have a little uh, gallery of uh, some of some heritage, like vintage photos of my family uh, there, which I love. And it's like kind of very cozy. And I also um, started playing the ukulele, so I sometimes um, practice playing there. And yeah, I, I use it um, very often, and the cats use it all the time. There's two <laughs> seats, two cats, and they love to hang out with me in the studio. And as long as they're on that, on those two seats, that's actually really good. So, <laughs> well, also if it's right by the window, I assume they like laying in a sunbeam. Oh yeah, they do. Um, so. Um, that's the seating area. And then I have a little letterpress um, cabinet, or it's actually not that little, it's pretty big, um, which I had in Germany. I found that on uh, at a flea market in, in Germany. In case people don't know what a letterpress cabinet is, will you just tell us? Um, so this is um, a drawer, file, like a cabinet uh, with lots of very deep, but not, not deep, uh, white yeah so they the depth meaning like from front to back is very deep but the yes. drawer itself is shallow because it was used to store uh letterpress letters right exactly so um and i have some of the letters that were in in it um so um it's like for printing right so they they used to store those letters in there um, and this one is from the 20s. Um, I learned and used to belong to a teacher who, who actually also taught printmaking. And I've, the guy who sold it sold the letters <laughs> out of some of those drawers at a flea market in Germany. And I was like, hey, what happened to the cabinet where those drawers were in? And he's like, oh, I still have it. And I was like, uh, 
do you sell it? <laughs> like, yeah, when I sold all the letters and I was like, how much do you want? And he was like, oh, 300 euros. And I was like, okay, I buy the letters. Do I get the cabinet too? So that's <laughs> the story of the cabinet. So I had to bring it over uh, from um, Germany. And then next to it, I have uh, like an Ikea um, drawer unit. Um, and that's my workbench. On top of it is like a glass a former that was my former desk was a glass uh, desk with some just like two legs and I kept the glass um, top and that's what I have on my workbench. I love having um, glass now because I can clean it easier and I can just like don't need a palette. I can just put my paint on there on the glass top and you know can scrape it off and clean it from there. And I have. So a let me ask you a practical question for kind of what we do for a living, which is do a lot of art demonstrations like on video and stuff. Do you mm -hmm. find that the glass is very reflective when you're trying to shoot a video on it? I bought like a, uh, I covered that up when I do video. So I have like a little um, kind of like a vinyl, vinyl uh, thing. If you see ever like, like white washed planks on any, on my photos, that's basically a plastic sheet that lays on top of my, of one part of my um, workbench and on the glass top. And that's where I shoot videos or take photos because the glass would not work with the video uh, or taking any photos, of course. So, yeah, so I have it partly covered up, actually. <laughs> Which is just practical. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. Replica surfaces are actually like really hot. I have a friend, actually, you know, Jen Mason, who's a cheesemonger now, and she has a ton of like fake marble, fake slate, fake all kinds of things so that you can constantly look like you have these different kinds of pretty backgrounds for your videos and photos. Yeah, right. It's very important. And um, it really helps also to kind of like get yourself into this. Okay, I have, well, that's one thing that I really love about my new studio that I have uh, now a long row of, you know, uh, surfaces. And I can just like, I have a dedicated space on that workbench where I take my photos and my videos and I don't have to move that around and I can just leave the surface there. I have the light there. I have the um, stand for the camera there, you know, so I, I don't have to move things around. And so it makes it really easy um, from a practical standpoint too. I would say for many, many artists who are making a living in this day and age, the performative aspects of making art are actually a huge part of the business, you know, meaning like shooting uh, process videos and stuff like that. And then as well as all artists really need really good finished you know, photos of finished art and stuff. So having like the photo slash video studio set up in your studio is like a serious concern, I feel like for a lot of people. Yeah, and it uh, I found it really hard. Um, so there's like, you know, always downsides, down aspects and good aspects. So now I have a way bigger space than I had in our old apartment. Um, which was like basically the landing of the stairs. It wasn't like super small, but it wasn't that big either. And I had an L-shaped um, like, you know, setting. And it was really hard to space-wise to just like have something out there all the time. So it would be like, okay, I want to take photos. Now I have to take out this um, surface where I'm going to put something on there. Oh, I'm shooting videos where I'm going to place my video camera. I have to 
you know, put everything up now and get the lighting out of the storage and, you know, all these things. And having a bigger studio stay space really spoils you. You're like, oh, my God, I can just keep this out, you know, and do not even have to think about it. Um, so that's really that's my favorite part of also having a bigger studio. Uh, the down of this studio is maybe that I only have one window and it's in the on the first floor. So lighting in general is a little bit harder than I had it on the top roof floor, you know, in the loft with big windows. Um, so that's that's a problem. And the other problem might be that um, you have visit like everyone who comes into our house comes into my studio or sees the studio. So I have to be very good in cleaning everything a little bit more up than usual. <laughs> And, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, although it does remind me of like, you know, in the Victorian era, and you obviously have a Victorian home, there were many times when to close, they did it for heat purposes, but to close off a room that didn't have a door, they would just hang like a velvet curtain, you know, in like an archway or a doorway or between two places. So, you know, a velvet curtain could be a solution to hiding everything <laughs> out of sight for people. I actually looked into some room dividers that I want to buy um, also because this might be part of this. Um, my studio might become also once in a while a guest room um, mm. because we have a guest room and this has my studio has a full bathroom, which is amazing, you know. <laughs> so but yeah, uh, then you know, I'm looking at some of those. Um, so if it's really bad with the studio, I can also put the wall divider up. You know, just for visitors. But, but yeah, where the seating area is, that's also going to be the area where I can do workshops at home. So I can just push everything aside and then put my, you know, some tables up and have workshops down here in my studio, which I'm very excited about. And then I have a desk. And then um, on the other side of the letterpress, the fireplace and all that stuff, there is a little wall next to the basement door and the bathroom door uh, where I have a wall easel. And I'm super excited about my wall easel. That's probably the other favorite thing about my new studio um, that I was able to do that. I always wanted to have one. Um, and it's like so space saving. And I have um, For I have people bought... who don't know what a wall easel is. Can you describe it? Yeah, it's an easel that is, um, instead of freestanding, um, it's uh, mounted to the wall. And I bought one that has, I think you call them masts. That's the one that goes from top to bottom where you actually then place your canvas on. And I have two of those masts. If it's not the word, I'm sorry. <laughs> so two of those lengthwise things. So that gives you the opportunity to either work on a really, really big canvas or at on two canvases at a time if you wanted to, um, because you can place a canvas on each of those masts. Uh, masts, whatever they're called. Um, I had never actually seen a wall easel before I saw the pictures of yours uh, on your blog, I think, or on your Instagram. Huh. I do think that I got the idea from our friend Rhonda Palazzari, who had posted many, 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 many years ago uh, when she was redoing her studio that she was thinking of having a wall easel. 
And then I started doing research. And to be honest, to this day, it's actually really hard to find that there. I don't know what the reason is, um, why they are not that popular, but um, there are not that many wall easels that you can buy. And some of them that you can buy are, you know, I have some proud too. I I find them extremely ugly. (laughs) (laughs) I know that sounds horrible. It's like, okay, it's all about practical things, but there are clunky and weird and ugly and i found this amazing company it's called that's my recommendation by the way it's called um the company is called tiller and it's this uh what um he he makes these easels he's an artist too and he he was like well there need to be better and nicer wall easels out there and he makes them in different sizes and it's just amazing um and he's always sold out like so i've been stalking him forever and when i knew we we're gonna buy this house and we, i'm gonna have this um studio and i want a wall easel i went to his website again i'm like no it's sold out and so i was like stalking the page every three days i kid you not i would go online and see if he has them back up and I like one day it was like, oh my God, the wall easel is there. And I was like, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's very, um, it's very, uh, it saves a lot of space, but it's very practical too. And I really like having that little area, uh, you know, where I can paint and just let loose the photos that you will see is obviously taken right after I moved in. So it's very clean and pristine. I'm sure in a while the wall and everything around it will not look as clean anymore. (laughs) Okay, well, let's interrupt briefly to talk about recommendations. Um, So do you want to give people like a, a, I assume he has a website or something where they could find more information? Yeah, it's um, so the so the name of the guy, um, which, you know, also the service was amazing. And he actually he built the easel and he took photos for me, um, you know, so in progress, which I found extremely sweet and nice. And the um, whole like how you put it up and everything. I mean, like the whole service was just so amazing. Um, So I highly recommend him. Um, His name is Tiller. It's T-U-E-L-L-E-R. And um, I think the company actually that he has for the um, easels is called Paperbird Studio. So the website is paperbirdstudio.net. So, but if you Google Tiller, or maybe you put a link out there. I will, I'll put um, a link. You will will, um, find that too. So yeah, highly recommend uh, him. And I also thought for the way how he built it and made it, um, it was actually pretty affordable. Um, I mean, it's always the easels are actually big easels, easels are, are insanely are, expensive. Exactly, and I paid four hundred for this big, you know, wall thing, and it's handmade and it's amazing. So I was like, uh, this is, you know, I've paid almost the amount of money for all the easels I've had in my life so far. So. <laughs> But it's, you know, wood easels are really expensive. I think people would be shocked if they found out how expensive a wood easel is. Yes. It really is amazing. Mom, what is your recommendation? Oh, well, it has nothing to do with our... Which is totally fine. What is it? Well, we just went to the movie Emma, and I love Jane Austen, 
but I've never seen it done like this when it wasn't a a knockoff or you know like clueless is a version of Emma um but I thought it was humorous it was beautifully uh photographed it was uh very relatable it was uh well acted. I just really enjoyed it, and I thought later that they also did a very interesting thing because they they started by showing the two protagonists in various states of undress, and you immediately got the idea that underneath all these clothes and all this fanciness, they're real people, and it, it immediately brought that out to you. I enjoyed it, and I recommend it. Excellent. I actually have an, a recommendation that is also something for you to watch. It's vaguely art-related, which is if you are a person who ever watched Project Runway and stopped watching because it got, you know, very reality showy, this season, which concludes on March 12th, but you can watch the whole season on demand, is really fantastic. And it's fantastic for the following reason, which is I feel like Christian Seriano, who is the mentor, has come into his own and he is able to give the designers critiques that I think are extraordinarily helpful. Instead of saying things like, hey, make it work, or, I mean, I and I love Tim Gunn, or, you know, I'm concerned about this or whatever, he actually says, what, gives you an example. What if it was X? Or what if you tried Y? Or, you know, uh, gives them concrete ideas. And it is amazing to me how immediately when he says it, I go, oh my gosh, of course, that's so obvious. Of course it should be that. And I think uh, to extrapolate it out to some sort of art making stuff, I always find that sometimes, you know, you're too close to something, you can't see it, and then somehow this outside voice, or even you after a little bit of time, can come and look at something and say, but what if it were not this idea in your head, but turned left? And all of a sudden you go, wow, that is the answer. So I'm really enjoying it. Um, and, I, and I think that everybody out there would too. Hmm. Sounds cool. So those are our recommendations, but uh, let's get on back to the studio i want to um talk just a little bit more about now you've only obviously been in your house for six months so it's hard to know like you know all the goods and bads but in your mind sort of we've talked a little bit about pros and cons of your space is there anything that you have already changed from how it was when you first moved in or are there things that you're uh sort of thinking might evolve over time um i haven't changed um i've well, the one thing that I might have changed or not might have, I have changed is probably of what I think. So blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we have a basement now, which is like, OMG, you know, like you're in the city and you have a basement and it's a full basement. So there's a lot of storage. And I think um, that's something that uh, I'm really, I think my husband and I am like, that's amazing. We can actually put some stuff away because we don't have a lot of uh, clo closet space and I don't have a lot of closet space in my studio. So I put a lot of stuff into the basement and sort of like, you know, I want to have that out of my room. And if I need that, I can go downstairs and get it. So um, I think I'm constantly rethinking of what supplies or what things um, are actually good to have in the basement and whatnot. So it's like, okay, 
Um, I paint so much lately that I thought it would be a good idea to have the canvases instead of in the basement back in the studio because I'm a lazy person and I don't want to go into the basement all the time. Also, it's kind of creepy. So, but you know, like other things I don't, I don't need here. Like I don't need every, every packaging material in the world in my studio just because I ship out things, you know, like I can go downstairs if I need a certain box or something like that. So I think I'm changing constantly of what I, or not changing, but evaluate, reevaluate what I want um, in the storage downstairs and whatnot. But that's a minor thing. Um, as you pointed out um, earlier, the weather is getting nicer right now. So um, I also, at the back of my studio, there's a little utility room where we have the laundry and also a little utility sink. And then there goes it goes out to a nice little garden and deck. And I'm excited about exploring that as soon as it gets a little bit warmer. And just like you, you know, like, oh, my God, I can spray paint the hell out of this, right? So <laughs> I can't wait for that. And then also see how that works with my flow. Um, painting wise, I think that's, I, I'm happy how I set it up. I, I got lucky and it was the right way. Uh, and once in a while I changed some, I'm thinking about like rearranging maybe some of the drawers again, just because I reached into some of them more often or, but I, you know, it, that's not really something that's, um, I, I did that in my old apartment and when I moved I kind of like thought a little bit more about how I my workflow is going to be and where I put which things into which uh, drawer so it's like small things I think how about for you yeah I've moved some stuff around already and I, I was thinking a lot about how you know when you design a kitchen which I'm sure you do know because you've just designed a kitchen there's a lot of talk about the triangle right mm -hmm. it's the refrigerator the sink and the stove and it's like how are you going to do that triangle and make it work now studios and this relates to what you were talking about about like oh I'm painting a lot now as opposed to you know you could be doing printmaking you could be doing I mean there's just a lot of different versions of stuff right and so it's like, what is the triangle, so to speak, although it may not be three things, it may be 14, but what is the triangle that is sort of most used? And I think one of the things um, that I've sort of been trying to figure out in my studio is I like to have, um, where possible, sort of designated areas for everything. Like this is an area where all my fabric is and I don't mix other stuff in there. So I know if I'm doing something sewing or fabric, I can find what I'm looking for over here. You know, this is an area where I do my work. So my computer desk becomes sacrosanct and I really don't like to put anything on it that's not computer related. Um, you know, this is my uh, painting wall and I want to make sure that I have all my paints stored near my painting wall etc cetera, etc cetera. trying to make things sort of more logical but I think what happens for me in workflow is that the triangle changes depending on the project mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. like my computer and my desk are always part of the triangle because for me that's always going to be like basic step number one right but then it's like I have to have an area then which goes, let's say, fabric storage to sewing machine, you know. And then there's another thing where maybe it has to go from scanning cut to uh, paper storage to back again to the work desk. Then it has to go like painting to, 
you know, paint to whatever. I mean, so it's a funny thing because I think the triangle changes constantly and it's part of what makes studio organization so difficult. And part of the reason that I think it's really good to talk about, you know, the thought process behind why are you putting things where you're putting them and how is it working for you? Right. So, yeah, like, um, as you said, I don't really thought, maybe I do intuitively like follow some kind of triangle as with the kitchen design. But, you know, I have thought about uh, where to put my paints, for example, for a long time, because I was like, you know, obviously, I paint sometimes on the workbench when I do just, um, you know, art journaling or other projects. But then I also want to have them at the wall easel, because that's where I paint, you know, so how are you going to do that? And it all, I mean, it's not a huge space. So it's not like I have to go like a real long way. But what I find is that um, whatever paints I pick and bring over to the workbench, for example, I'm kind of like, you know, I don't have to have 500 million paints here. It's actually really nice to just stick to those five colors that I picked, you know, bringing over right now. So, uh, and I have like, I have little, little boxes that I carry around in my tiny studio. <laughs> So I go like, okay, I want to do something with markers. I'm going to pick 10 markers and I'm not going to go five steps again back to my letterpress where I have my markers. I'm going to use those markers for now. I think that's a brilliant solution. I love that idea because that is about like, to me, about making some purposeful choices. I mean, people so often, right, get stumped or stymied because they have too many supplies, too many things. And it's like that just forces you to narrow it down. This is what you're doing. These are your colors. Make it work. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's kind of fun. And then when I'm done with something, it doesn't happen every day, but I try to make an effort that at least, you know, every second day so that I also change my colors, I go and, and put everything back in their places. I take the little tray that I have for my markers, put all the markers back in the drawer, put all the paints back in my, you know, paint drawers. And, um, yeah, so that really works. Uh, it's I have actually a great gra- solution for forcing yourself to use some things you don't normally use. So it could be a way yes. to grab either colors you don't normally use or even like, oh, I always use markers. I want to use some crayons or I always use crayons. I want to use some, you know, pastels or whatever it is. And it's like, no, I got to work with this. Yeah, and and it's also funny sometimes you, you know, have everything on the bench, on the workbench and you're like, oh, I want to do something new. And they're like, you know, why not indulge in the same colors again? Use use what's on the bench, you know, like, um, I really enjoy it. I mean, the move actually also reminded me of a lot of things that I have, you know, and um, haven't used in a long time. So um, that's always, I think moving really shows you that you have way too much things. <laughs> you know, so I, I actually downsized a lot in my studio, too. And I was like, you know, you don't have to have a million colors or, you know, you, you know, every single art supply as much fun as it is. But ask me again in half a year, I <laughs> probably have, you know, again, more stuff than I use. <laughs> You know, it's very true, which is I find myself, A, every time I move or every time I go through the studio, I end up purging and giving stuff away. I do have some regrets of stuff I've given away, though, which always then makes me nervous about giving other stuff away. But you do have to let go. And B, like, you know, I do think that sometimes 
uh, having a scarcity or fewer elements actually makes you be more creative and more interesting. I do think so too. I, f I mean, and that comes from someone who has like, you know, an obsession with art supplies. Um, I actually went through all my markers uh, before I moved and I still have like four drawers full of acrylic markers that, and I just purchased new ones. That's how obsessed I am with it. So here's my whole, you know, thing about it. But I think it's true that if you just limit, and that's what I'm trying to do in this, like, okay, I'm going to, you know, take my little tray, my little bin, and just like pick a couple things. And then I'm going to use those and I'm not going to go back and, you know, I'll pick more colors or whatever. I mean, it depends, of course, on what you're working on. <laughs> but it really, it really shows you. And I also, you know, just recently did a workshop for um, Sketchbook School, which was like, um, it's an online platform, and they were dabbling in mixed media, which was super fun. But they have a lot of people have had never done mixed media. So we had to kind of like, uh, you know, be very mindful about which supplies we would recommend students to buy. And so I was like, hmm, maybe it should be more about like utilizing what you have in your, you know, in as household items to use as your art supplies. And, you know, that really brought me back into the beginnings of mixed media and how much fun that was and that you can make a lot without an extensive amount of uh, art supplies and, and still mixed media. So I agree. Um, and you it, know, every time that somebody asks me, like, what pen are you using? What paint are you using? I'm half inclined to, to tell them, like, it really doesn't matter. Like, use whatever you have it on hand. But I know that people like to know actual brands and stuff. But I, I do think it's important to remember that you don't have to have, you know, the exact brand that somebody else is using to get fantastic results. Exactly. And I think it's like so interesting when you look at, um, you know, artists um, from you know, the 20s or 30s or 40s when mixed media was kind of like, you know, collage was uh, discovered and people were doing collage and all kinds of like using different materials and then canvases. They, they were just using what they could find and, you know, utilize that. And it's so much fun to look around and just like think, okay, this is what I have. What can I actually do with it? So... Um, that was a good reminder in that, and that's a good reminder for a studio and organizing too. Um, well, in the bin, the bin idea, of course, you know, I Marie Kondoed a lot <laughs> out of our apartment before we uh, used it. For those of you who don't know Marie Kondo, I think everyone knows her now, but is this um, Japanese um, woman who wrote some books and a TV show too, which is on uh, Netflix about how you discard everything that doesn't bring you joy now. So I'm not a, like a huge follower of her, but the philosophy of, uh, you know, taking someone something in your hand that you have and you're like questioning if that brings you joy um, or not. And if it doesn't, you maybe just get rid of it. That really resonated. Say, you, you really scarred me when I was at your apartment in Germany when you guys were about to move to America and you were ruthless. You yes. were throwing away scrapbook layouts you had made, all kinds of things. And I was like, oh my God, she's ruthless <laughs> in her cleaning. It was amazing. Yeah, and you know, but that's, well, you have to fit everything in a big uh, shipping container, right? And that's what, it, like, we basically, they closed the door on the shipping container 
and that there wasn't more room for it, you know, like for anything. So you really have to question things. And, you know, it's not about throwing away the, I don't know, the the T-shirt that you love or, you know, like it's not about the artwork that you really feel very happy about. But if it's something that you just, you know, feel like you have to keep it because, some outer voice tells you you shouldn't throw this away, but you, it actually doesn't bring you joy or spark joy to use Marie Kondo's word. Then why would you keep it? You know what I mean? Like um, there are things that I can't get get rid of, but like especially with artwork or scrapbooking pages, I have been so rough because a lot of the times the it's not the outcome that brings me this like you know, joy. It was the process of doing it and creating it that was the most wonderful thing about it. And so um, I don't lose that if I throw away the outcome that I might not want to put on display. That is an excellent mindset. Uh, So mom, you've been very silent. I know you don't have a studio, so I wonder if that's why, but you do have a kitchen and you do have opinions. Any thoughts you would like to add? Well, I I do think that when you put together or design a kitchen, you have some of the same thoughts. I mean, for example, I have no freezer in my kitchen. I have freezer drawers in a in a separate pantry because I realized when I was designing the kitchen that you don't actually use the freezer during your cooking process. So why have it taking up space, valuable space in your kitchen? So it's some of the same kind of planning. The other thing... Uh, when you were discussing using limited supplies and getting something interesting, thinking of two things. One is um, outsider art or folk art, where a lot of times it's people making art with things that they find that they have available to themselves that isn't what you would normally use as an art uh, uh, in an art project or. Um, even people who upcycle clothing and things into something else, you know, like a geese bend quilt that's made of old denim overalls. And then, and it's really interesting and wonderful to see things in a different light and the creativity about thinking of what this object actually could be in a different context is what's part of what's so interesting often. And then the other thing I was thinking is Victorian travelers who used to have little watercolor sketchbooks. Mm. And as they traveled, they would make these wonderful little drawings of where they had been and probably didn't carry very many supplies with them, but they they could create this wonderful travel book. And I just think that you're absolutely right. You don't need to buy a lot of stuff. I think sometimes the feeling that you don't have the right stuff stops you from trying to do something when actually it could be a a way of getting more creative about it. Oh my gosh, I remember going to the Whitney and seeing this work that was done with uh, coal dust and spit. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, coal dust and spit, I remember that one. 
Yeah, me too. And like, it's amazing what you can do when you don't have stuff, you know, using old clothes to do things, using, like, I love tramp art, for instance, which is often yeah. made from leftover and discarded things. And so many artists make amazing things with a simple ballpoint pen. In fact, I think sometimes we rely too heavily on supplies to do the work for us as opposed to putting in the time and the effort to, you know, really strongly develop a style or draw more accurately or, you know, create a uh, really interesting design. I know one thing that I have been working on a lot in the last few years is making sure that color isn't being a crutch for me and that when I see mm-hmm. my work in black and white, it still has resonance and impact and contrast and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that is a that is a good uh, thought. I mean, I I think that that's true. Color is like a good crutch, actually. It's a great crutch. <laughs> the best crutch yeah. of all. Rainbows for everyone, right? Yeah, that's true. Except <laughs> when you're getting dressed, because then you can go all black, which is the reverse crutch. It's true, but then you get to wear fabulous accessories: big purse, big earrings, fun shoes. That's true. That's also true. <laughs> I can only say I've actually learned with a baby that black is the enemy color because the spit up shows more. Oh. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so see, it's all it's all, you know, circumstance is what I'm saying. Things change. Things change. Anyway, that seems like a perfectly fine place to wrap up. Um, we will have pictures absolutely of Natalie's studio on the blog. And Nat, do you want to um, tell people where they can find you and take some of your classes? Yeah, um, they can find me on my website at nataliesstudio.com. Um, I have some online classes there as well. And maybe you want to check out some of my artwork that I do about the neighborhood uh, and the cities I travel to. And you sell both prints and original artwork, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. And mom, do you want to say anything about where people can, you know, try try to find you if they really want to? <laughs> Look for the house with the giant hole in the porch where the car drove through. That's me. That's fair. That's fair. It's true. Oh, so my mother, I think, I can't remember if we talked about this on the last podcast or not. We did. But my mother had a car drive into her house. So it's been quite the talk. People she hasn't heard from in years call her up and say, I noticed a large hole in the front of your house. Oh, goodness. Right? I'm glad everything else is fine with you, though, Eileen. (laughs) Well... I have two new grandchildren, so everything is good. There you go. It's the best thing. Uh, as always, you can find me at ballsresigns.typepad.com. Do leave us your comments or questions at ballsresigns.com slash arting. Um, if you'd like to help the show, we'd love it if you'd post on social media, on your Facebook page, your Instagram story, or anything else like that about the podcast. That always helps other people find the show. So thank you so much for listening and subscribing. And thanks, Natalie, for being here and Mom, too. We'll see you next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs>